Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm, a, I'm your host, Michael, and joined with me are Sarah and Jacob. Hello. Hello, hello. And we are reviewing The Black Phone. Yes, long awaited. Long awaited. Uh, Sarah, you, you mentioned this months ago. You were just like oh, the black phone. Feels like last year, I think. Was it last year? I, yeah, I, it was. Because it was supposed to come out like January or February, but they pushed it back. Okay. If so, I remember correctly. Yeah, well, I think just due to COVID, still, yeah. and you know, clearly. <laughs> um, so, uh, the black phone is probably is that would you can would you consider it to be like maybe your most like. I don't know, like number one on your list for movies you wanted to watch this year? It's one I was most looking forward to this year, definitely. Okay. And just Well, it was most I was looking forward to last year, but mm. just got pushed <laughs> back. But yeah, so I was really excited to see this. Okay. Uh, the, the Black Phone is uh, directed by Scott Derrickson, who directed Sinister. So if you're a big horror fan, Sinister is... It's funny, the movie came out, I remember, what, about 10 years ago, and it was, you know, got really good reviews at the time. It was very scary. And they did a poll here, um, I was reading, they did a poll where they said that um, they, they voted Sinister as, I think this is the scariest movie of all time. I mean, I don't know if that's deserved or not, really, but um, the fact that it's, it's that highly regarded is... Uh, you know, and I never even numbers. watched that, but I'm going serious? to watch it now. Oh wow! Yeah, like, okay, I yeah, never I saw even it. it never was on my radar until I watched the Black Phone. I'm like looking at Scott Derrickson's you know, history. I'm like sinister. Like that sounds familiar. Like I can't believe I never watched that. And mm-hmm. It has Ethan Hawke in it too. Like I can't believe that never came up on my radar. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. You need to check it out. Uh, this is written by Scott Derrickson and also Robert Cargill. And it stars, I mean, obviously Ethan <laughs> Hawke is, is, is the big one here. Uh, yeah. Mason Thames is Finney, Madeline McGraw as Gwen, Ethan Hawke as the Grabber, and Jeremy Davies as uh, Finney and Gwen's father, Terrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some other characters in here, but uh, to be honest with you, uh, those are those are really your major ones right there. Yep. The big Very small cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so, the, so this is uh, a movie where the basic premise is that uh, this takes place in the late 70s, uh, around the era of the milk carton, right? So when it became, <laughs> it is, it's the milk carton era, late 70s, yep. early 80s. 
Uh, mm -hmm. Kids would go missing. You put them on milk cartons, pre-internet folks. Um, you know, it was a big deal. Uh, I remember milk cartons and stuff, even Ancient. from when I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, it was never a thing in Canada. Okay. Unless I was too young to recall it, but never did I remember it. Well, it got transitioned out. Yeah, like it did. I don't know. Early '90s, I feel like it was starting. To, it started to get transitioned out pretty mm -hmm. heavily. Because yeah. um, I remember like a lot more as I grew up, more and more of the bulletins, like on Walmart and grocery stores. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, um, and then there's that um, that music video for the early '90s, "Runaway Train," uh, where it features a lot of missing kids and uh, young adults and stuff actually if you I would check out that video it's really good for one but um, they kept putting new kids in because they were finding people which is really awesome it's actually doing its job yeah yeah, yeah. they kept uh, putting in new new kids and stuff and new you know so yeah. but anyway um so back back to this so it, this <laughs> takes place in the late 70s and there's this uh uh you know, kids are going missing and there's this this person they, they're calling the grabber who are who's taking these kids and uh, nobody obviously can find them there's no bodies anything it's just kids are going missing and uh you have finney and his sister who are you know, they're uh, mourning the loss the, the recent loss of their mother who committed suicide and their father is in mourning but he's also quite abusive as well and i don't even know if i would say abuse like like i agree like one of the hardest scenes of this movie is from the dad <laughs> but yeah but i think it's the 70s i don't think that was the most uncommon thing to do you know i think it's kind of of the time you know parents weren't opposed to you know smacking a ruler over their kid's wrist or beating them with a belt like mm -hmm. my parents got the same kind of stories yeah i mean it was a different it was a different era you know no. it, it's true um but i do think he's very borderline going to the abusive side don't want to be around him when he's drinking but i think yeah. for the most part it's kind of up the time yeah yeah i mean it's that's true it was it was the late it was the 70s uh different a different era um all right so uh I guess let's kind of go around the table here and just give our just our thoughts, uh, general thoughts, no spoilers on the movie. Um, why don't we start out with you, Jacob? What were your thoughts? Um, I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. I thought the performances were stellar. I thought, um, it just it was so well done and well executed and every moment of this movie just really felt well balanced like it had a, a really good blend of intense like thriller aspects as well as horror elements and just blew me away like it's such a small movie that really shows that horror can be great without needing to be huge budget or I don't know what horror seems to have tried to become in the past 20 years. And it just shows how, when you do it right, how well it can be done and how well it can hit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think, I think horror. Like, I simplified. think horror. I think has taken a step back from some some very I don't know not particularly great developments. Um, it, horror started to get a little too over the top, a little too splashy, and I think we've seen probably in the last ten to twelve years a, a return mm -hmm. to a lot more of the psychological horror mm -hmm. um, things that tap into our fears less about, you know, the jump scares and, you know, a lot of stuff that I think cheapens horror movies if it's mm -hmm. done too much, which I think 
like the, mm. the jump scares in particular, I think, are one of the the worst the worst uh, kind of phases tactics. of horror. Yeah, you know? well, I think one of the smartest things, any like where we've seen success, at least uh, that I would say where it's been very successful in horror is like how this did. It wasn't just a horror for horror's sake. Like we've seen like with the quiet place, it was horror thrill and kind of a little bit of sci-fi, like how it, it felt like they took inspiration from um, alien mm-hmm. and like, like taking these ideas of blending themes. Like this felt very much like, horror murder mystery and thriller combined and it was really and kind of some interesting supernatural aspects which is really cool and and i loved it like how it, it really used all of those elements really well and i think that's where horror needs to go is making sure they have those other elements to help it along um Sarah, what what were your overall thoughts on the movie? Uh, I definitely echo what uh, Jacob says. Just it's it was really well done. I was like I had high hopes and I wasn't disappointed, which is rare. Uh, it was a really great film, and the child actors. It's one of those movies that man, these kids are going to be something when they get older because mm-hmm. every one of them was really good. Like especially Madeline McGraw, who played Gwen. Like she outshone everybody (laughs) she was really really great and i have a few issues with it we'll talk later on but for the most part like i was really happy with what i saw it ethan hawk was terrifying (laughs) and you barely see his face but he was absolutely terrifying Mm -hmm. i love how it's minimally used it's not and like especially with the jump scares like there's a few jump scares, but they aren't cheap. They're really well done, placed perfectly. Yeah, it's overall, I think it's a really good horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those jump scares really, they actually served a purpose. Yeah, and like I heard like a couple of them, like the whole audience like screamed and jumped back. Like, and you know, that's a good jump, jump scare when you get the whole audience to mm-hmm. <laughs> feel it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I concur. I think most of what you guys have all said there, it's basically my thoughts uh, for the most part. Uh, like you, Sarah, I do have a couple of things I'm going to mention. Uh, but overall, I think the atmosphere is great. Uh, something that really stands out to me in this movie is there's just kind of a grittiness. And it's not just because stuff is dirty, but there's just a real grit and grittiness to the whole era that they're portraying, right? It's, um, you know, people, this is not a, this isn't a, a movie where part of the appeal is the nostalgia, right? Nobody in this movie is got a particularly great life, right? Um, it's true, right? The the kids at the the center here don't have a particularly great life right now. They have a, a mother who's, who's dead, they have a father who uh, is mourning and is, well, you know, apparently if you say you have dreams that you can see things, then you're going to get a belt You're asking. for a while. Um, you know, so there's just a, a lot of just not particularly great lives that uh, going on here. You got kids that are getting just, they're just asses kicked. Um, on, you know, just, I mean, some of the brutality on display here is, I mean, it's reminiscent of a, probably the era in, in truth, you know, kids beat the crap out of each other back then, you know, mm-hmm. like when there's Gwen more brutality just, outside of that basement than there was inside of it. Yeah. I mean, like when Gwen came up really and just, was. just took that giant rock and just smashed it into that kid's head. I thought like, that kid was dead. I thought he was too, because he just had blood, you know, running down yeah. his, you know. And she got kicked in the face. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it. it Dude, yeah. Finn, Finney got uh, you know beat up quite a bit, or or that scene where um, uh, what's his name, um, Robin, 
beat that bully beat up. the holy Loose. crap out mm-hmm. of that one kid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he really did. It wasn't like he punched him a few times, knocked him to the ground, and said, you know, you know, you learn your lesson, you know. Uh, no, he knocked him to the ground, and then he just proceeded to just beat that kid for a solid thirty seconds longer, at least. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very brutal setting, and it's not about hey, it's the 70s, it's this is the era, it looks like it, it feels like it. And I think that's the thing they really got. It feels like the 70s. It's not so much about does it look like the 70s, which it does, but does it feel like the 70s? And to me, it felt like the 70s. I wasn't around for the 70s, by the way, but it just, it feels very authentic, I yeah, guess. I don't have Rake here. He could tell us all about the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Raker probably better than I could probably. <laughs> Um, so anyway, you know, um, but I, I thought it was, it was good. I think it was scary. Uh, I think that the performances, like you said, were excellent across the board. Everybody was knocking it out of the park from the kids all the way up to the adults. Um, it was, it was creepy, uh, you know, at times, um, yeah, I had a really good time with it. I mean, it wasn't enjoyable in some moments cause it was quite, you know, <laughs> hard to watch. Right. But it was very, it was very captivating, I guess. A quick question. Uh, I'm always curious. You guys are in the States. Was this R for you guys or was it PG 13? Uh, I believe it was R. Question. I think it's R. Yeah. At least for us, or at least on IMDb, it was listed as R. Yeah, it's our, it's our. I'm always, I'm always curious about that because in Canada it was 14A, which is the PG-13 equivalent. Huh. I'm like, Canada just don't care. I guess <laughs> like, he was. Well, that's actually surprising for us because usually, like, some of this stuff could have been considered very closely, like, rated PG-13. It wouldn't have surprised me in a lot of ways because usually what gets stuff to go from PG-13 to R is actually more sexual-based, not violence. I think what must have been, like, the tip over, like, usually PG-13 movies, you get, like, one F-bomb, but this one, they were just throwing the F-bomb around. Yeah, that's true. Left, right, and center, sure. so the kid, the kid, that's probably kid, what did it. The kids are, the kids are, you know, <laughs> the kids of that era definitely spoke like adults. They, like, <laughs> like drunken sailors. Um, when she reamed out those cops, it was just the greatest thing. Oh, yeah. Yep. She got the fucking grabber. <laughs> yep. It was, yeah. And so I think that's probably partially why you're right. Um, yeah. All right. So let's jump into this movie. Let's talk about uh, the things we liked and the things that we didn't like. Uh, let's start out with, let's talk about the plot here. Um, so, you know, we get the the opening to this movie uh we see just different kids that we get introduced to get taken whether it's you know the baseball game at the beginning where, where Finney doesn't uh manage to to win it and the kid that he uh that greets him tells him that you know he his, his arm was mint and all that stuff he gets taken and then later we get um what was it, the kid again? I always forget his name. Robin. Robin, yeah, the kid that beat the bully up, he gets taken. Mm-hmm. And you know, then we get a you know a peek into the home lives of the of the kids. Uh I wanna I have a theory when it comes to the mother who mm-hmm. has recently died. So because I thought what was really interesting to me was the way in which the cops reacted to the daughter, right? So when I think of like a clairvoyant, right? I I think of cops who just kind of roll their eyes, you know, some, someone calls in or some clairvoyant, somebody that comes in and says, I, I know where the kids are. And then it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, whatever. But these cops were very much, they were seeking out the daughter. Yeah. And I think what happened here, and I don't remember there being any dialogue that actually spelled this out, but I think what happened was, and this is just my theory, I'm going to kind of lay out what I think happened. I think her mother 
Obviously, we know that she had very similar visions, dreams. I think at some point she did that. I think she had dreams. I think she had these visions. I think she went to the cops and they're like, you know, she told them everything she knew, all the things she saw. And then I think they probably did that. They probably blew her off and was like, yeah, whatever, crazy lady, whatever. And then the things that she that she told them ended up coming true or that, you know, very specific details mm-hmm. like maybe a sign or a car license plate or, you know, something where they saw those and thought, wait, this this lady actually knows what she's talking about. And I think she worked with the police a lot. Yeah. I think so too. I think she worked with the police a lot. I think the reason she committed suicide is that she couldn't save all the people. You know, these these dreams, these visions, fine, they're helpful, but it's not like they were always successful. You know, or like never... her death was made to look like a suicide. Could have been that. I don't think so. I I think probably my interpretation is that she helped a lot of people out. They did probably solve cases. But imagine carrying around the guilt of the ones you didn't get because she had all these visions. And I I think, I don't think she was killed. It's just, you know, it's not like, I don't think the father killed her. I don't think, I think the burden of the gift because she didn't always get to save the people you know, whose visions, you know, she would have saved them if, if she'd seen one more thing or had seen it sooner. And, and, you know, because of that, you know, children didn't get saved, they died or other people. And I just think the toll of all that took, it just took too much out of her. And that's the way I interpreted it. So they went to the daughter because they heard the daughter had these dreams and they're like, Hey, you know, we're just asking you, what did you see? And they clearly were invested and interested in what, what she was seeing. Yeah. But one thing the father did say is when he was talking with his daughter, like she was asking him mm-hmm. to listen about her dreams is that the mother ended up seeing things, telling people to do bad things, something along those lines, mm-hmm. which is like, it's kind of leading towards like maybe she was a schizophrenic clairvoyant. But I kind of think someone was must like I don't think he killed her at all. Like hmm. I think no. he's generally a or a decent person, just in a lot of pain. But mm-hmm. maybe he got she got too close to someone else, and someone covered up her death because that was a big thing in the seventies. Is a lot of serial killer victims were listed as uh, suicide because they were made to look that way, and they had no proof otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's well, what I, I think a part of it is, and it's something you kind of touched on, is I think the biggest thing is she would have probably been diagnosed with schizophrenia as well. <laughs> just well, back because then, she would have just that. been locked in the nut house. It, well, I, I think they would have prescribed her medicine. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it would have, could have been where, like the father mentioned, she might have OD'd on it. Uh, yeah, it actually surprised me. Yeah, so I think that's honestly probably what mm-hmm. happened was okay. like she used that medication when she was tired. Like she might have been helping, but she got tired of trying to help because she, like you mentioned, she might not have been able to help save everyone. And mm-hmm. so she got tired of seeing the deaths and so took the medicine to stop it mm-hmm. and kept going and going. And Okay. I think dependency is a big thing when it comes to medicine. And as she built up a tolerance, she had to take more. Yeah, that's going to be a valid idea, too. Well, in any case, I think that, you know, they they go and they, they talk with Gwen because she's having these, these dreams, these visions, and... Um, you know, she, you know, she's a little spitfire. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. You know, and so we get to see a peek into the school life and then Finn, Finny gets taken by the grabber and he gets put down in this, this basement. And 
Ethan Hawke, who gets, I think, maybe, what, 15 minutes max of screen time in this movie, mm-hmm. is very creepy. The mask is amazing. I mean, it's probably one of the scariest masks I think I've ever seen. You know, it's it's so original and it's so well constructed, and the fact that it has interchangeable parts yep. for his emotions, like oh, it's just it's yep. great. Based on what mood he was in, the dependent, you know, the mask that he was wearing. Yeah, yeah. and well, even the voice, his voice would change too. too. Yeah, you're right. Very minimalist and like, just effective. It didn't effective. have like a bunch of colors, not trying to be like super scary. It was very much, yeah, it had horns, but it was like. Just unnerving. Yeah, like the, the smile. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it was, like it wasn't like fangs. It was like looked like normal teeth. Just like a, like a giant Joker yep. level grin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I got to say, like one of like the scariest like emotions on Ethan Hawke's face is when he takes Finney and he throws him like the back, the way he looks down at him, there's such pure hate Mm -hmm. and disgust on his face. It is just so good. And so on point, like, Oh, I knew then immediately, like I was just going to love it. (laughs) It was so scary. So I think my theory, because we, we learn very little about Ethan Hawke's character. You know, we don't we don't have a lot of in the way of motivation and I mean beyond clearly what his motivations are, but how he got to where he is with why he's doing it. But the one thing I, I did seem to pick up on in my theory here is that there was a time where he was locked in that basement by his father. Yes. Yeah. Because Sounds he made right. comments about, you know, that that phone and it you know, about being down here at one point a long time ago, I think his father locked him in this basement when he was a kid. Yeah, actually, it would be quite on point. And and it was playing like his brother, you know, copes with drugs and he copes in a very different way. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he does. Um, So then the phone rings. He answers, Finn answers. And and, in a, you know, so apparently... Apparently, uh, the grabber can hear the phone ring, right? And and it's it's an interesting thing because I, it's the one part of the movie where I'm, I've I've always thought, well, this is weird because there's a there's a scene where he's sitting there, standing guard, and the phone rings, and you see his head kind of turn slightly. Like he he's hearing the fact that the phone is ringing yeah. down there faintly. Even well, the kids tell Finney like the grabber hears the phone too. Right, and it's interesting because they say okay the phone doesn't work, fine, mm-hmm. but then the grabber himself can hear the phone ring, so something's going on. Well, yeah, he he mentioned that he had it. Like he inquired about it, but it was, uh, he was told it was static electricity in the air. Huh. Okay. Cause I remember that, like him saying like static electricity, uh, was a big part of like what he, how he rationalized it ringing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he gets these phone calls, Finney does, and at first he hears nothing, but then eventually it's a voice, um, some of the 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 ghosts that he's talking to, he knows personally. They were friends of his, um, whereas others he had only heard of simply because, you know, they had gone missing. Mm-hmm. And each one of them tells him what they had tried when they were there before they got they got, they were killed, and so. One of the things he does, the first thing is that there's this loose tile, you know, take the tile apart, you can then dig, right? So he he starts digging a hole. Then it's this cable that that one of them hid on like like where the the floor meets the wall in the corner there underneath, like kind of like wedged in the wall there. So he pulls Mm -hmm. that out, ends up trying to get out and ends up pulling the, grate down over the window mm-hmm. um 
and then you know so each one of these things he does it doesn't mostly end up working like at least until the end when he kind of pulls all of it together and utilizes it um there's a question so i know this this basement's kind of big right but like wouldn't I would think that the grabber would notice something's wrong. Like the grate's gone. Um, you'd think at some point he'd walk around the room, maybe even inspect things. But like you'd notice the blanket over the hole, like that things have been moved. Something's, but he's also probably not particularly. He's not rational. He's a this state of mind. But still, he's he has a job. He can function on some level because he does go to work every day. So, I, I think part of it is is the fact that like when he has a kid down there, I think he doesn't stay down there. He he intends to not go in past the door. Okay. Because the way every time we saw him in that room, he never, outside of the very end, he never went past that door. There was one but time. But he did. Yeah, it was when he, he was, was sitting, sitting there watching, watching him sleep. sleep. Oh, was he? Yeah. He yep. was sitting there against the wall watching him sleep. and like Next to the mattress. Yeah. Oh. That was like, yeah. So he has, but he didn't, he didn't do it often, clearly. Yeah, like it was very rare. So maybe... Well, I, that was before he had that trick set up. Remember, like he, because uh, there was a certain point where it was, he was told by the spirits like, "Don't play his game." He's yeah. waiting at the top. That was before that. So I think that's the biggest thing is when he got to that point of his mo, he didn't go in any farther. He waited for the kid to break the rules. And that's, it's a very common thing with serial killers. They wait for someone else to break their delusional rules. Exactly. And that's how they justify hurting them. Very yeah. common thing. So, I, and I think with that delusion that he had and that rule, he would not go in and pass that door after that point. Because it would, he had that, it's that delusional rule of his mm-hmm set in place that he has to make the kid break the rule before he kills him. Yeah. Like that's how he justifies it. <sighs> so, so he get you know, so during the whole movie, Finney's talking to these kids, getting uh, advice being told, you know, and there was one point where he almost escapes, right? The kid says, Hey, you know, when I was abducted, he took my bike lock and he, he used that, but the kid, you couldn't remember the combination um, and end up finding the 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 bottle spins if I remember correctly the bottle spins and it points to the wall and I think isn't that I think it's the moment where he he figures out the combination um, yeah and then he gets out he actually does get out but then the dog starts barking and then you know he barely he doesn't get that far down the street before it's awful yeah before the grabber gets him and you know throws him back in and takes him downstairs. And um, so meanwhile, you know, as he's getting all this information and he makes his escape and he fails and, you know, all this stuff happens, his sister is just, when he gets taken, obviously is just completely gutted. You know, you can clearly, they're very close and she's got these visions. She sees all these elements of the house where he's being held um, so she starts going out looking for the house uh, and, you know, talking. even convinces like the dad to go with her. Right. Like, which that's a big thing. It's a big thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she does eventually find the house right towards the end of the movie and then, you know, goes back home and calls the police officers. And then, so the, the, the end for Finney is that, you know, he talks to, um, I can't, Robin and Robin's, you know, telling him, okay, you know, you're a fighter. You need to, to stand up for yourself. And so he packs the phone with dirt to give it some heft. Um, and then the grabber's brother, was it Max? Yeah. yeah. Max. 
So Max is obsessed with figuring out who took the boys, not realizing, of course, that his... Huh? It's just great. Yeah. He's looking looking for these kids. He's obsessed with finding these kids. Meanwhile, it's his brother that's doing it. And, you know, he's shooting lines of coke, which, I mean, apparently that sharpens... Apparently that sharpens your critical thinking skills um, because he looks, he's looking at the map and realizes that, you know, there's these pins all around their house, their street. And so, you know, he goes to the door, which leads downstairs to the basement, which apparently his brother told him, you know, never go down there. And he does, opens up the door and there's Finney. And he's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I knew he was hiding something. I just didn't realize this was what he was hiding. Can I tell you how I figured it out? Like, excuse me. I want to get out. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of my way. And then the door opens up and we see uh, the grabber with the axe and just right down over his brother's head and just cleaves his, almost cleaves his head in two. One of the, like the worst sounds I've ever heard is him pulling that axe out of his head. The crunchy yep. and squishiness was just awful. Yep. Yeah. Like someone in sound editing had a fun time with that. So then he blames Finn for it, despite the fact that he had nothing to do with it. And, you know, he was already planning to kill him. He was getting all the supplies at the hardware store to do it. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he comes down with the axe. He's, you know, Finn manages to escape, jumps over the hole with the, the blanket, pulls the, the cable uh, across so it's nice and tight. And then the grabber trips over it and then falls into the hole because the hole is pretty big now. And the, the grate is there and he actually breaks his ankle. Um, <laughs> Nasty. And then Finn proceeds to just beat the living tar out of him with that phone receiver. Dude. That was great. And <laughs> and I I thought, okay, you know, my initial thought was, okay, he's not gonna kill him, right? He's just gonna he's gonna knock him out or something. He's gonna he's gonna get over to the other side and the cops are gonna take him away. But then he has the, the, the cable in his hand in his hands and he just jumps over him, puts it around his neck and just starts pulling. Yeah. And it was pretty brutal to see that. And then the phone rings, he puts the, it's for you. It's for you. And it's all the, all the ghosts telling him that he's, he's almost dead. And then, you know, Finn just gives one mighty pull and just snaps his neck. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I got to say, it was a very good scene whenever the cops all got there because, of course, they listened to the little girl and they go to the house, but it ends up being not the one that Finn's being held, but is the one to the grabber has two houses, one across the street. And so the one he uses to bury the bodies in the basement, the other one he uses to hold them. And so then she looks and sees her brother come out of the house across the street and then of course you know runs over and you know it's just a sweet reunion between the siblings and the cops rush over and and then we get uh finn going back to school we don't get a clear amount of you don't know how much time but this is the 70s so it's probably like two days later yeah mental health be damned i think (laughs) um what's ptsd yeah 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 (laughs) That doesn't matter. So he walks into the school and in like the it's like the, the students are like parting like the Red Sea, right? Um like the bullies that picked on before, they're just like, Yeah, we don't want nothing. Ain't to fucking do. with them now. No, well, no, yeah. he killed he, he killed the grabber. Killed the guy. <laughs> um when you've taken a life, people tend to move aside. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> um, I was telling my wife, I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, man, not even his dad will take and raise that belt to him ever uh-huh. again. Nope. Never that happened. Right would, nope. Could kill him. Yep. Yeah, he's done it already. He's not gonna. He's not gonna take crap now. Uh, yeah. But then he goes into his science class and sits next to his high school crush, and I love her reaction. It's such a funny reaction because, you know, I would assume that she would be like, 
but she's like such a like such a cool like she just says oh hi Finn. what do you say i'm like hi uh was a high finny or something i can't remember what she says to him and then she's he's just like nah it's finn and she just yeah. kind of sm- smiles and that's that movie's over yeah, so, that's great yeah um so the everything was great the the setting like i said before the setting is great the the the, the houses the cars the the costuming all the clothes look period appropriate um but there's nothing gratuitous about the depiction it all serves the purpose of the movie and that's it it's not like hey look bell bottoms remember when those were cool you know it's just like okay this is the 70s here's the fashion here's the houses here's the here's the cars that's it it's it's you know it's meant to do what it's there for and that that's it um you know, the acting was phenomenal. I think, like you said, I, I totally agree with you. I think they all did a stellar job. Every single cast member was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the girl that played Gwen was really, really good. Um, and then Mason uh, Thames, who plays Finney, I, I thought he was outstanding. Um, yeah, I think they were just, they were great. Um, it was scary. There was definitely, definitely a lot of like, tension and in everything um so now that i've kind of outlined the movie what were the what are the plot elements jacob that you liked here the most um for me i really enjoyed how how the supernatural aspect went in a very different way than you would have expected like in most horror things like supernatural like the ghosts aren't really there to help the the good the the one in trouble they're always they tend to be the ones like killing the innocent people so it was it was nice to see that and the fact that all of these kids were clever in their own way yeah and, and i thought that was so well done uh and the fact that it's kind of unknown whether or not when they were telling him this, were they planning for him to fail in the original aspect to lead to the final fight or were they telling him with the hopes that it would succeed? Mm -hmm. Because like the part for me that really stuck out was the freezer incident. Like in the 70s, there is not a freezer, fridge, what have you, that did not have one of those kind of handles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so to me, that kind of tell, told me all of that, all of the, that advice was all a plan on the ghost's part. Mm-hmm. And it was just so well done. And so, just, ah, man, it was just so well done, I thought, and like so clever to like get that whole final thing set up and then uh, just the line that arm is meant coming back. (laughs) Yeah. Like in just the most brutal way. And yeah, it was just, I thought that aspect was really well done and the stuff with the sister, like it, it, I don't know. It, it felt very, refreshing to have like a uh, situation where she was able to see the stuff and it wasn't like yeah the dad was like passing it off as like not real but like the cops believed it like it, it's, it's so surprising to see stuff like that actually occur in these kind of movies so it was it was just really cool to see and really well done i thought in that regard yeah there were they didn't follow the tropes like you know, oh, the cops are like rolling their eyes at the clairvoyant child. Like, yeah, you know, take advice. And even like the dad who, you know, was beat her for even having these these dreams. You know, she tries again and talks to him and just he eventually, you know, just understands like, OK, we're going to go with this. And even though it pains him because that's how his wife died, like mm-hmm. you know, that shows like like he's not a bad person. He's just. Yeah, really in mourning. He's, he's grieving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's But uh, that is one of the way. most brutal scenes, though. Yeah. 
And that's what makes me like love her and her act because you can just you can see the pain turn to hate turn to resentment like you can see that in her eyes and in that moment and she was just perfect it's such a hard scene but she was so good it's funny um so here's here's a weird thing if you take a look at their father there's actually some similarities between their father and the grabber Mm-hmm. So their father and the grabber both have belts. And because uh, one of the boys says that if you try to escape, he will beat you with that belt and mm-hmm. he will do it. It's going to hurt and he's going to take his time and it's going to be brutal. And the way they sit sometimes, their their posture, I'm not, I'm not, what I'm trying to say is I'm not saying that like their father is going to basically be the same thing or anything. It's just, it's interesting how both characters sit in a very similar manner in their chairs. They both have belts in their hands. Um, it's just, it's just a, it's just a, it has to be a choice that they made in order to Oh, do yeah. That. It was a very well done parallel. It's, yes. There's different monsters in some respects. I'm not saying their father's an awful, awful, terrible person. I understand why he is got such a short temper, but like, even though at the very beginning of the movie, you know, he, the kid's just eating cereal and he's like, could you smack your lips anymore? Um, must you chew at that decibel <laughs> right and then the, the the sister coming down and making noise and the father's just like you know you get the sense like they, like he's going to explode at any moment and they know yeah. it those like kids they're, are on eggshells they're terrified because they don't know what's going to set them off yeah now obviously their father is not the grabber right he's not beating their kids to near death and locking them in basements but I think it's just an interesting parallel that they they make in this movie between the grabber and some elements of his character and his posture and everything else and how they kind of line up that in some ways to the father. You know, maybe the father could become something like that or a, maybe a different slightly different version of that if if things don't go a different direction for him if he doesn't learn from his mistakes. Yeah. Uh, which he does. By the end of the movie, the father is you know, you can clearly see that he he's asking them he's asking them to forgive or uh, forgive him for basically the way he, that he has been towards them. Yeah. Um, yeah. He changes his ways real quick. Right. Um, oh, go ahead. I was say one of the scenes like you talked about, like the belt and that scene with the grabber waiting at the top of the stairs, like shirtless got belt in his hand with that mask that like no dialogue just the camera kind of zooms in on him and says it is unnerving and really creepy like they mm-hmm. the way they set it up like but one thing i don't get is he's got his brother there and does his brother just come to the kitchen go get a beer and he's just sitting there shirtless with his belt and he's just like hey bro like i'm just grabbing a beer keep doing you <laughs> <laughs> What that was one thing like I didn't understand like his brother lives in the same house as him how is he not he, seeing he him? didn't live there permanently when the cops visited the first time uh, and there was a couple other lines that made uh, made it clear like the brother was only there visiting yeah it's not like he was crashing there and had been for a little bit so I don't know, he's got to he be, be there. like a traveling worker like his job makes him travel. Maybe, because like the the way it seemed when the cops were there is he he doesn't live there regularly or he does not spend all of his time in that town. He he travels, or he was at least traveling to get there, because there was also other dialogue about uh, the grabber uh, slipping up and saying he'll be here soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think basically, but from what I get, like the brother is basically just been staying with 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 the grabber recently. Like he lost his job or something. He's like basically on hard times, and so he's. I think he's really just kind of come into town recently to stay, like to crash at his brother's for a little bit, and then 
because you know the grabber has like i said two houses one across the street from another he purchased them so he's staying there but he's also got a job so his brother shows up and says hey man uh i need a place to crash and he's like okay fine but you know don't go in the basement uh i'm working on something down there whatever like and so i think his brother stays there you know but he doesn't have a job right now so he's got nothing you well, know, and also maybe, being high on coke all the time. Right, it's hard to say what his sleep schedule might right. be. Right. So he's 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 high on coke. His sleep schedule's off. He probably goes out places. He probably goes to like the bar or something. You know, like he's yeah. he's not there all the time. He his brother might get him out of the house at times to say, "Hey, look, I got some stuff to do. You need to like split for a while." And then that's when you know he goes down to the basement he does his things and mm-hmm. you know he probably sends his brother out when he's like when he's got to take one of the kids and kill them and dispose of the body and all that stuff he probably like sends his brother out for like an extended period of time gives him some whatever excuse like just you know i need you to split for like three or four hours it just it does seem like it was because the kids say like you know the grabber's not sleeping like it seems like a couple of days have gone by and he's waiting for finney to you know activate his you know next plan right well because i think all the other kids didn't have the luxury of getting the phone calls yeah but it's like he's got to be sitting in that chair waiting for extended period of time like his brother's not coming around like it seems like he's you know at least they're part of the time like i don't know something's like didn't make sense there to me like there's doesn't explain like his brother's not just like going by i mean like yeah new mask for your magic show or <laughs> something like that just being weird i mean well I it's don't... the 70s he probably was also just didn't want to ask because he probably didn't want to know yeah maybe i mean you know he's gonna remember uh finn's gonna sleep at some point too you know um it just depends on when that lines up with the grabber and his sleep schedule and he's you know staying awake a lot more. It's not that he may not get any sleep either. He might just not get a lot of sleep because he's got to constantly be on watch. Yeah, oh. it's hard to say. There's some details that we don't get in this movie, but it's hard to say where there's inconsistencies and where there's just a lack of information. Oh. You know, more definitive information about that that stuff. Yeah. Um. All right. So you know, uh, I kind of would like to talk about things that we didn't like or problems okay. that we had. So I I do have a criticism in this two things. I guess there's two criticisms. Uh, number one, while the movie is scary and terrifying in moments, right? I actually think they could have made it scarier. I'm with you. I wrote that in my notes. It's, it's, yeah, again, it's like the things that they do do. And it's okay. So the supernatural stuff is fine. I, I like the supernatural element. I think it brings something to the movie. But the thing is, it's not, it, 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 because of that, it kind of, can get in the way of some of the absolute terror. I mean, this movie is rated R, right? So it doesn't have to worry for the most part about like, you know, getting, it doesn't have to worry about getting an R rating. It's already achieved an R rating. Um, it's not that I need, I don't need to see some kids being tortured or anything. I don't, but I do think that Ethan Hawke actually should have had some more screen time. I think we needed to see some more very scary, very tense mm-hmm. moments between him and Fanny. Because a lot of the times, like, other than the escape and when the grabber, you know, caught him and brought him back, and a couple of other scenes there, most of it was just like he comes in, he brings some food, he makes a couple of comments. And then he leaves, you know, comes back, you know, 20 minutes later, you know, maybe you bring some more food, et cetera, et cetera. But there, like the scene where he, you know, Finn wakes up and the, the grabber is just watching him sleep. And he says, why? 
And he says something like, like something like, oh, because I wanted to or something. Like it's creepy. That's creepy, super creepy mm-hmm. stuff. And I think we could have used another like, if I'm being honest, I think we could probably use another 15 minutes of some really creepy. I mean, I understand needing to adhere to the plan, but like, wouldn't you maybe to like force? Okay, so here's what I would have done. I would have said, okay, um, all the other kids that I have taken within 48 hours, they have tried to make their way up the steps and it leads to the second part of the plan. But then the grabber, right, he's getting irritated because Finney's not doing it. So I think what would have been cool would have been to do some things to force Finney to make that choice, like engage in some, like turn all the lights off, you know, make it pitch black somehow, put, uh, you know, stuff around all the windows that bring any light in and make it, make it pitch black in there and kind of just, I don't know, come down into the room and hide. And just hear his breathing in the darkness. Exactly. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I even wrote like extra 30 minutes needed of suspense building and, and just, or like scares. And just, you know, having Finney and like having the camera close in on his face, just enough light that you can see it and you're seeing the absolute terror. And then like all of a sudden, like you see like his mask kind of looming out of the darkness, yeah. like to his left or to his right. And he's breathing and and like maybe Finney is chained, like he can't move really very far or he can't move at all. And, and the face is just right next to his head and it's breathing. And like maybe he like brings his hand up and he just kind of like, I don't know, caresses the side of his face and and says something like, when the time comes, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, just you know, I it mean, great. I mean I'm just, totally with you. just the absolute sheer terror of something like that, where it's not about him standing in the doorway, or it's it's trying to make sure that you just the absolute bonkers terror. I just think they could have taken it farther than they agreed. Did. Yeah, it kind of it, it was definitely leaning more towards thriller than horror. Well, I think what happened was is that at some point when the supernatural element really becomes a bigger factor, it's it's not so much that I feel like it's a big detractor. I like the supernatural element, but then so much of the movie then becomes about Finn taking the advice, learning from what the ghosts are telling him to survive, and that's great. But if they could have stuffed another 15 to 20 minutes of him being essentially psychologically tortured and then, you know, uh, maybe commence with the supernatural or maybe the supernatural stuff's already started, but he doesn't yet have the the the, the belief that he can do anything at the, at that point. Like he's not being pushed enough to the point where he's going, he's got to start thinking, okay, how am I going to survive? How am I going to get out of this? And I just think the psychological torture of that scene that I described would just be like, yeah. I mean, anybody watching that movie would just be like, you'd be, you know, you're gripping the side, you're the, the chair that you're sitting in. It's it's you're just so stressed out watching a scene like that, you know. It's kind of like when we we did reviews for like a Quiet Place, you know. How or many, like in how many Silence s- of the Lambs, right? Just how many scenes in a Quiet Place where you just you're like you're just like you're holding your breath, you're so stressed out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's that's mostly that's like my biggest gripes. There was mostly that um. 
not enough, not enough, just they could have gone further, more terror, more psychological, you know, manipulation and, and mm-hmm. fear. Um, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Yep, I'm totally with you. Okay. Could use a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, when there's not very many issues, it, it's going to be very notable when there's like the one issue we're all going to be on agreements on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one area. I can't really think of anything else that needs improvement on this. Everything else is pretty on point. Yeah, definitely. No, I think overall the movie is very effective at what it mm-hmm. does. It's taps into that era. Um, perfectly. It's just um, one of the better horror movies to come out in the last five years. Yeah, yeah. I love like the little Easter egg in this. Is that the the person the, the black phone is actually like a short story it was written by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's son. Yeah, and mm-hmm. in this, when um, Gwen is riding through the streets and she's got this yellow oh, jacket the on, Georgie. you immediately think yes. You yep. immediately think Georgie, and like ah, oh, that's kind of a little Easter egg there. That's yeah. it. It was a nice little nod. I like that. I appreciated that. Yeah, um, gotta like that. <laughs> Yeah, I will say of all the things that dated this as a '70s movie and like setting, the most notable thing I would have to say is the terrible name that the news gave this bad guy, the (laughs) grabber. That is the most '70s thing ever. Mm -hmm. Totally, (laughs) it is. When I first heard it, I was like, "Man, did they? They really." did a good job of setting it and made, like that right there tells you just yeah they always they give didn't, them bad they names. didn't try to give it some flashy name you know yeah and it, yeah. it's never a good one because the, the, the night flashy, stalker btk yep, the night, like the night, none of it was yep, yep night not the night the night stalker richard uh, richard ramirez the night yeah. stalker um you know the, which Ramirez was very epitomate of like the same kind of psychological the grabber had. Like, because one of his things was if you leave your door unlocked, that's pretty much an invitation for me to come in and do what I want. Mm-hmm. He, he, that's part of his rules. Yeah. Yeah. They're really on point there. Yep. No doubt. Um, so it's, yeah, again, it's, it's a very, it's a very good movie. Uh, highly recommend seeing it. Um, just. The direction is good. It's 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 just a, a well done. Scott Derrickson, excellent direction. It's got a really good screenplay. Dialogue is very authentic to the time period. Um, yeah, it's just it's very good. I highly recommend seeing it. You should you should check it out if you like horror movies. I can't imagine you would really dislike this one, and especially with the touch of supernatural to it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and this just makes me so excited. Like you know this director i have more faith in the fact that he's going to be doing the labyrinth project coming up and i kind of hope maybe we go darker way like that'll be something cool to see yeah maybe i know no one else is excited about this but i (laughs) (laughs) you better hope it doesn't lean more towards the doctor strange movie he did (laughs) no which wasn't bad but i feel like that's not what you're wanting no i'm watching jennifer connelly and uh paul bettany (laughs) That's what I want. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, all right, everyone. Well, if that's everything, I think that uh, I think we've all kind of made our point clear here, which is that, you know, this is a really good movie. You should go see it. I can't imagine you'll come away uh, unimpressed. Yeah. So... Agreed. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening to us talk about the Black Phone. Um, you know, we will be back next week with another review. And if you'd like to send in feedback, you can send it to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. And uh, Sarah, is there anything you'd like to add before we sign off? Oh, no, I think that's everything. And uh, I'll be away for the next week or two. Yep. But because uh, I'm doing my schooling exams all that fun stuff and then i'll be back in the saddle all right all right everyone well there'll be new content coming out over the next couple of weeks and then sarah you and i will be picking things up as we start to review the episodes of stranger things season four 
Yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up. Uh, All right, everyone. uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. If you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.